I'm Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you're listening to Slee Ricketts. Thank you all for listening. We have a lot of new listeners over the past few weeks, so welcome to all of you. Uh, if you like the show, then um, please do feel free to write in sleeverickets at gmail.com to let me know or to tell me if you got if I got something wrong. That's something else my listeners have been doing from the start. So please participate in that tradition. Let me know if I fuck something up. And also maybe take a moment to recommend the show to a friend. Just one-on-one. That is how we seem to be gaining most of our listeners. There is also, if you if you like what you hear and you would like to hear a little more, there is a Slee Ricketts secret show. Go to sleerickets.substack.com and you can sign up for just a couple bucks a month to get some extra episodes. Uh, there are already a slew on there and there are more coming very soon. I did want to, I got a couple of smart corrections or notes from the most recent episode. So uh, I talked briefly about the, uh, or a couple a couple of more recent episodes. So I, I, I talked a little bit about Beowulf in the my birthday episode and Cameron wrote in, I mentioned in the episode that I thought that one of the weaknesses of the Beowulf poet was the the violence, the descriptions of actual fighting, which I, I found to be clumsy and often a little bit uh, uh, confusingly in, in, difficult to imagine, or you know, let alone uh, re- reenact as described. But uh, Cameron, who who as he said uh, had one of uh, had as one of his set texts for the preliminary Oxford exams, Beowulf, and he, he said I had to spend a month or so lear- uh, on learning, translating, and then remembering the old English of the Beowulf and Grendel fight scene. On the whole, I agree the Beowulf poet, an oral artist whose words remained remembered until some scribe decided to write it out, seems very weak when it comes to physics. But I'm not totally sure she was as weak at violence as you say. Take, for instance, this brilliant description. My translation cannot do justice to the compounded, exploding cunnings of the poet. Not that the monster deemed to delay, he snatched up a man at his first strike, slit the sleeping thane open, bit into bone links, guzzled a leakage of blood, gobbled the flesh gobbets until that dead man was utterly devoured, fingers to toes. And uh, as usual, Cameron's right. I mean, that's pretty good. Cameron's got a couple of other notes, but I, I, th- I thought that uh, that was a that was a good point and worth mentioning. My comments on Beowulf, as on so many other things, were characteristically cursory and dilettantish. Uh, I also got a note from Shane who suggested that the line that Brian read and asked about the scansion for, I had, I had no good answer to him at the moment. The line was from Jenny Hollowell's story, uh, History of Everything Including You. The line was, now your question is my project and our house is full of clues. And Shane suggested that that might just be a headless line of iambic octameter, which uh seems right if you stress every other syllable you know as i think basically in relative terms is is probably pretty correct i do think that the line as brian read it was probably more of a was was made up of four syllable feet so now your question is my project and our house is full of clues which i scan as something like catalectic line of four tertius peons. So uh, just a little good news for everyone who was 
waiting for the day that Slee Ricketts shifted its focus solely to uh, esoteric discussions of prosody. That's that's what we're doing apparently today. But thank you as always to Shane and Cameron for your invaluable insights. Finally, if uh, if any of you has any questions for Brian, for Alice, for me, we are going to be doing a Q&A episode, an AMA episode, and uh, would it's, you know have a bunch of good questions, but we still have to collect a few more. Echo, don't, no, 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 don't eat that. All right, Echo's in my lap now, so you might hear a little bit of dog noise. Uh, so please do send in any questions you might have to sleeverickets at gmail.com or uh, to the sleeverickets Twitter account, which is at sleeverickets. Uh, somebody... Somebody is manning that these days. Oh, one one more thing. I, I have gotten some really nice notes from people about the Sleeve Ricketts t-shirts, which are now available at Tee Public. Uh, the comment I keep getting are is, 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 oh, this is surprisingly, this this looks surprisingly nice. Like, oh, oh, this is actually flattering, which uh, which everybody is, is seems to be shocked by. Uh, they look, they're good looking t-shirts. I didn't want to sell shitty looking t-shirts. So they are good looking t-shirts. You can get one in just about any color you like. Uh, there's a link in the show notes and on... No, 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 Echo, come on. And at the top of uh, my website as well, if you're looking. Uh, enough of all that. I do... I have, I, th- I think, a really good conversation today. I, I had a... So Alice made a proposal, uh, which was that she she suggested that I send her a few poems that I... Just uh, poems I like. So I picked five with no theme, no project no greater thesis, just five poems I like. They're all contemporary in this, I mean, like pretty recently written. And she picked three and then we talked about them. The conversation ranged a lot wider than just those poems, but that was the start. And I think, I think it was really, I think it it came out really well. Like I think, I think this is a really good one. Uh, The second part of our conversation was Alice wanted to talk about dishonesty in the poetry world. She had some very good questions and I kind of let her steer the ship, which I think she did a very good job of. That part of the conversation about dishonesty in the poetry world is uh, going to be on The Secret Show. So again, that's sleerickets.substack.com. Uh, that will be out in the next week. That's a pretty juicy one as well. <laughs> and maybe in ways that uh, if you're not already familiar with The Secret Show, it's it's much like the stuff on the main feed but anytime my wife says, oh God, you can't say that on the podcast, uh, then, then it goes on The Secret Show. So that gives, that gives you some idea of what, what you might find there. Here's my conversation with Alice. I hope that you will enjoy it. I would, I'd be happy to talk about any, any of these or, or none of them or whatever. I, I'm curious what you, if you had a, like a strong response to any of them. Because they were really sort of... Yeah, I re... Yeah, So you basically sent through five poems. Most of them are about death. (laughs) One of them is about sex. Are they? Yeah, probably. Yeah, they are. They are pretty much... I realize like, um, yeah, four have like Greek Greek myths or three have Greek myths in them. The Greek Greek mythology references. And probably a bunch of death. Yeah, okay. I really liked two, and the rest I wish that I liked more. Why do you um, wish you I liked will... them? Well, that's what I want to try to get into. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. why don't you read for us sure. the first one, the A.E. Stallings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dogdom of the Dead. And this is, I believe, 
Um, so this is from her first book, which is being re-released now, uh, Archaic Smile, which my mentor gave me when I was 17, which really blew my mind. But I'm pretty sure, so she has another poem in here. I can't remember if it's, she has a bunch of poems about the underworld. And I think she has one that's called Eurydice Reveals Her Strength, which is a great poem. And then she has another, I believe, that's about Persephone. And it's in one of those that she just has the throwaway line, there is no dog so loyal as the dead. And so my guess is that she wrote that line and then she said, oh, that that's actually, I can do something with that. So then she took, mm -hmm. that oh, line okay. is still in the other poem, but then she took that as the first line of this poem. It's called The Dognum of the Dead. There is no dog so loyal as the dead. Always with you, trotting along at your heels, or snoring lightly and taking up most of the bed, their paw pads twitching and their tails a wag. For even in your slumber, they still tag dawdling behind and charging ahead, sniffing a memory out like a fleeting rabbit, but always losing the scent when it crosses the sticks. They are creatures of habit and cannot learn new tricks. But what you would throw away, they fetch back for you, a game they never tire of. And what you would keep, they bury in the ground, a hoard of bones. If you try to sneak off without them, they sound such moans, wind skinning itself in the trees, the boo-hoo of trains, and then come bounding behind you, faithful as shadows. You will come to prefer them, dumb and dogged, forgiving. For the living, like cats, insinuate into your arms. And when they've licked everything clean, dictated their terms, they stray back into the moonlight and other kitchens, ungrateful creatures with their own lives. Great. Thank you. I figured you would like this one. Right, so this is the one that I liked the least. Really, I figured because you were a cat person. Well, maybe maybe it's like it's too much too anti-cat. I mean, that's where the problem. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, you know, people are anti-cat. That's that's a thing. It's more that. Yeah, I really wished I liked it more. Okay, it, it really interests me. I really want to understand, and I hope you can understand the rhyme scheme a little bit better. I can just tell, I mean, obviously this is true of anything I've read of Stallings, but I can, um, unlike some of the work we were talking about before, this has obviously been revised many, many, many times. There's hours and days and weeks of work in it. Mm -hmm. It's got some incredible lines, some incredible moments, but what I kind of come away with is a sense of like, oh yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't hmm. feel particularly moved. Oh, Do you okay. feel moved when you read this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it just seemed like I, I generally uh, hate animal poems. Um, really, <laughs> I'm not, not big on dog poems or cat poems especially. Uh, but it feels, this is, I mean, this is a poem. So I think like I mentioned my, my little list of um, virtues. And this is one that in addition to having uh, some, some, you know, some, uh, auditory charm and, uh, and some elegance. So it's not, I mean, it, it is actually formally speaking, it is a little, 
it's a little loose and ragged. Um, like I don't, it, it, it doesn't have a super regular form. And she even, she has a tendency, at least in her early books to, sh to like take a cheese grater to her meter sometimes not, it never is broken or wrong, but it often, she makes it a little rougher than it, than it has to be. Cause that it's, you can just tell that sort of the preferred texture in her ear. But this is a, po a poem to me that just exemplifies accuracy. It just feels like, ah, fuck, that's right. The dead are dogs and the living are cats. Like that's saint, the feeling mm. of, I mean, my, like the, our dog echo now will, <laughs> she does, she, well, she does whine and she does bark a little bit, but mostly she just comes up and she just, just <laughs> taps her nose into my kneecap. She just knows like, that's like, that's her, that's her cue. We're like, let's I come, that's, that specifically means like, come play with me. It's like, it's not like I'm right. hungry or I need to pee. It's, it's just like, I need you to come mess around with me and just be, touch me and be near me. And, and like, that is, that's, those are all those feelings of, it's annoying, but it's also like precious and inescapable. And like, that's haunting. That's, that's the dead. That's and not just the dead, but like loss, like memory, the past. Yeah. And yeah. And the living is exactly like tantalizingly like cats. If cats were more sociable, they would be so adorable, right? Like cats are so cute and so soft and sweet and they can be kind of pretty in a way that a dog is like usually just like a little sloppy or dumb seeming like dogs are dumb, but they also just are like dogs are cute and cuddly seldom like very few dogs are like beautiful and there's like there's a greyhound that comes to the dog park where i take echo and like that is a beautiful animal also like i don't really want to pet it like it's just yeah. this like big fucking like beautiful weapon that just like tears across the field and you literally can like hear its feet pounding the ground like hooves um but i don't feel like i want to like nuzzle up next to it whereas like echo is like a like a dirty teddy bear, like a big sloppy, dirty teddy bear who just will like flop in my lap while I'm watching TV. Like that's, that's the nostalgia. It's like, it's, un it's undignified and it's annoying and you can't get away from it, but you also, you want to like, it's like the sweaty blanket you never want to wash that you just like cuddle up with and, and you can't get rid of it. And cats are, uh, they're appealing and picturesque and aesthetically dignified and and like fuck you i don't give a shit about you i'm done i'm leaving and that's the living that's that's like that you know the um the joy story the dead uh i don't no. oh it's great great story great story but it's a i mean like he does it does talk about the dead at the very end of the story like there's a dead boy and he talks about the, the snow falls on the living and the dead but most of the story it's it's most of it takes place at this big party and the the thing that gives it a pattern i mean there is a kind of a main character that you do come back to him but it really cycles across different consciousnesses and you just see over and over again people coming up next to each other and brushing up against each other and just you see like the the absolute separation of their minds like even when they try mm -hmm. to understand each other they're just it's just this intractable 
insurmountable problem of like they each have their own perspective like you can't marry them those things and it's tragic in that way like that's that's the living that's cats and so it, to me it, like it's a i again like i don't want to like a poem about domestic animals but it just feel like it just strikes such a nerve um that i yeah yeah I get over yeah it. no I, I i totally i totally agree with all that and feel like it articulates something that is so true that i'd never really thought about in that way before i mean it reminds me of people who will say now that my mother is dead we can talk you know mm. like she understands yeah, yeah. me um it's just for me and i know one of the things that I really love that you've said is that you want to hear the human voice yeah. inside the poem. For me, I, I want to, I want even more. I want to see the person. And with Stallings, I don't mm. know her. I don't get yeah, to know yeah, her yeah. in her poems. And I really want to. Uh, I feel yeah. a bit shut out here. And, and that is my, um, I guess it's a greediness. And I think it's a greediness that I and probably a lot of other people apply to uh, female writers more than they do to males. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. The the complaint I hear about her is that she's um, cold and clever and like standoffish or like like the the complaint I keep her who it was who complained that Elizabeth Bishop had no fire in the belly. Um, but I I hear oh, versions of that's that bullshit. I take yeah, such well, no, I, I think it's wrong. But I think I think it's wrong. But I also think I get where it comes from as a criticism, and I get where the criticisms of Stallings oh. come from, but they don't. They, um, they don't land. It doesn't, I don't experience it that way. I think because I, um, I mean, maybe it's partly like I have been a little bit in love with her since I like got, read this book as a kid. Uh, but I suspect that she's way smarter than I am and she's way more accomplished, but I suspect that her. I suspect she has some of the same difficulties with people that I do. Like it took me a very long time, like well into my like thirties to, to like really understand that, uh, that like most people, especially women, like, especially if you're in a relationship with a woman, like say your wife, like the, the denotation of the words in your conversation is actually a minority of the value of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> like I would have like, mo like if I would have like, I would have like lots of conversations with like girlfriends sitting on the other side of the room, like staring at the wall, trying to get my words right. And they would be, feel very alienated. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> was very, and like, which was always baffling to me. It was like, well, we're talking so much. So many words are crossing, you know? And I think I think there are people for whom words speak louder than actions. Like it's, it, it is, I learned there's a term for a thing that I've loved to do since I was a kid. And then I also, the same day that I learned there was a term for it, I learned that most people hate it and find it horribly boring, um, which is trying to define the necessary and sufficient conditions for a an abstract concept for or, an, or like a word or like an idea that we use in our everyday lives is called a um, conceptual analysis, and it's notoriously boring and horrible, and people hate it. And I love it, and I find it fascinating, and it's the kind of thing I think I sense in Stallings and her work. 
Um, mm, I mean, it's the reason yeah, like I think to... she translated so perfectly that um, the the Hausman Latin inscription to Mose Jackson, right? Like that's that is Hausman is uh, like he's his heart is on fire in his poems, but he is writing. It's like it's like he's it's like he's declaring his love, you know, from the distance of like miles away using Morse code, right? Like he, you know, I think like that's why her translation of that Latin inscription, which was like buried. I mean, he, he made a confession of his love and just buried it and where almost nobody would find it. And anybody who would find it wouldn't give a shit. Anyone who would give a shit wouldn't find it. And I think she was exactly the right person to unlock that and make it palpable. Mm. Yeah, it's funny because like when I've read uh, essays of hers and in interviews, she sounds oh, she's... really warm and lovely. She is. But maybe it's because she's got a bit of time to get it down on the page. She um, is, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that sort of, oh, she's cold thing. Like I'd hate to sort of add to that. Um, and that also feels like bullshit. But anyway, um, look. I didn't quite get there with that one, but of these I really did. Okay. Um, you want to read the next one? Sure. L receives honorable mention in late middle age. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, a poet I had never heard of that um, my friend Alan Shapiro mentioned to me because he was working on, or he just published a book about a person in his family who... Um, jumped off of a transport train to Auschwitz and was shot. Uh, and, it, and it was a story similar to one I was writing about in this family I was working for. But um, so he connected me with this guy because of that book. And then I bought his most recent book of poems and found this one and I, I really loved it. Uh, this is called L Receives Honorable Mention in Late Middle Age by Jason Summer. As if he'd always had that hidden aspect destined to emerge that simply took a long while coming. L could recollect some early signs, childishly close kept, practically secret, the half-filled sketchbooks still boxed somewhere, the many later missteps, the blurred photographs, bizarre collages, clay effigies that cracked off armature wire he couldn't have realized then were part of the quest lately ended. Objects rightly discarded as altogether wrong for what required, after all, so little to manifest. 140 words that tumbled down 12 lines, images launched with the dark-winged patch that skitters across rough ground, sweeps up the elm's trunk, rejoining hawk with shadow, what's alighted with what's risen. And a life is rescued somehow. His time redeemed from the waste by what he's suddenly written. Time spent on surfaces when there were depths. From his inability to make it mean, reprieved, soul-making evidence. Even if he also had to accept the judges missed a lot of what he meant. He feels at least he has been recognized, found his one talent that was death to hide. Beauty. Yep. I so love this. So you liked this? 
really, really like it a lot. I really like it. Good, good, good. Um, Okay. Yeah. I really felt like I completely understood um, this particular, it's a very particular sort of corner of experience. Um, Do you know the O'Hara poem, Why, Why I Am Not a Painter? Yes, but it's been a million years. Yeah. Yeah, it just it just reminds me of that too because it's, you know, this person has tried all these different uh, avenues to try to get out this artistic impulse and then eventually just goes to poetry and then gets an honourable mention. And I love that it's an honourable mention yeah. and it's not any kind of big prize. So my initial reaction was this is great. Then I had this second thought where I thought, hang on, what is it to write a poem this good in celebration of someone who's just had their very first recognition as a poet like is this kind of claiming back territory and going like oh well done um amazing work i'm gonna write a poem to celebrate you like i think it depends a little bit on the position of jason summer and whether he's like yeah i don't know it just he is is um so so he's i think published steadily he's certainly been fortunate as a in terms of his like generation like he definitely came into the game at the right time to be like a professor of poetry but he's not Mm -hmm. widely known or highly celebrated like he he is probably at least like I, i have not read enough of his work but like alan's account of him is that he's actually been sort of criminally neglected as a poet. Mm, okay. Um, well, that gives it a different flavor. Like, it shouldn't matter, and I know that sure, we're meant yeah. to do biographical readings. But if Ben Lerner but, wrote um, this poem, then fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly read this as being a little bit of a, um, a reflection on himself, at least. Yeah. I don't know how much, yeah. and I don't, you know, but I, I think a little bit at least. Yeah, I was trying to think the phrase that um, came to mind because they're you know they're funny little moments in poems that um, where like it's not even that the phrase is similar or the construction is similar it's just that it like you get the echo of a feeling of a certain turn that you yeah, encountered in another. Poem. I know what and you mean. The, mm-hmm. I mean, it obviously ends with the line from Milton, but the the line that I kept trying to like struggle to pull out was um, I think. Even if he also had to accept the judges missed a lot of what he meant. I think the I think the turn that I had in my mind was there mu- there always must be children who did not specially want it to happen. But maybe there's something else as well. But there's something I mean I love that little moment and it is it is his own moment here but that that little qualification even to the triumph. Right? Yeah. Like you got he finally got it's it's funny because it's it's maybe my favorite moment of the poem and it follows my least favorite moment which is uh what he suddenly um time redeemed from the waste by what he suddenly written time spent on surfaces when there were depths from his inability to make it mean reprieved soul making evidence yeah I, I kind of blanked on that line like it didn't even register with me like is the evidence the evidence is is a reprieve 
it reprieves him, but it's not, the evidence is not reprieved, I don't think. So yeah, I, like I'm, I'm a little stumped by that line, but then the moment that follows it is even if he also had to accept the judges missed a lot of what he meant. And that I just love, that little, mm. like, it's, you're right, it's an honorable mention. It's not first place. It's not even third place. Uh, it's an honorable mention. And it's like, and they still got it wrong. But like they could sense that it was something, like something was there. Even it was yeah. just, they, they didn't even understand it, but they saw that, it, that something was there. Um, yeah. And then it is a pretty, um, I am, I'm usually skeptical of poems that like steal big moves from other poems, but I think particularly because he ends with it rather than, because the line in Milton's poem comes earlier and then he uses it as his finale here. I think it, it's, um, I think it's quite strong. Like it's, mm. he even gets a little bit of the off rhyme with recognized because um, he's not yeah. he's not writing a tidy little sonnet like Milton is, but he's he gets the strength of that. Um, he gets the benefit of that that rhyme, even though it's a little fuzzier. Um, and it's and, it, and again, like with Milton, there is a there's a more resigned ending, right? They also serve who only stand and wait, but there's also an inevitable triumph coming with Milton and with. This guy, you get the impression that like, this is probably it. Like, we don't even make it to the end of that sonnet. We just find the talent. Milton was, was like frustrated because he wasn't getting the full reach and range of his talent. But here it's just, he just found it. And it was, and this is the end of the line. Like that one talent that was death to hide. Like this was gonna be really, I mean, we sort of get the impression like he, like he, this can end now. Like he yeah. can, he can die, <laughs> like, if not happy, like, you know, with a kind of acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about starting it with as if? I think that's really interesting because it's kind of like it's saying um, he actually doesn't have this he didn't always have this hidden aspect, like it came to him later in life or something like that. I, yeah, yeah. well, so yeah, part of what I like about this poem, you know, and it almost, you could almost read it if it were not capitalized and it were like the construction was slightly different, you could almost read it as technically continuing the title, right? L receives honorable oh, mention yeah, in late middle mean. age mm -hmm. as if he'd always had that hidden aspect. Yeah. And it, part of what I like about the poem is that it, it plays with like there are two ways I would normally approach like this event, the event of the title. One would be uh, they, like you knew that, you knew what you wanted to do and you knew what you were doing and you knew it had some value and like finally someone recognizes it. Um, and the other would be uh, you were just, pooping along and then they this happened and who knows why but here he kind of like he kind of plays it as like it is a real triumph like it is like oh this does mean something like this is this actually is it doesn't just acknowledge an existing effort it acknowledges a like a a, a nebulous wish but it like identifies the value of what he's doing but still he, it's not totally trustworthy yeah, because like they don't quite get it. They don't quite get it, but it, like he believes mm -hmm. the poem believes in the rightness of the award somehow. 
or yeah. the non-award, yeah. the recognition. Like the poem believes that like something has been really, some justice has been done by this recognition, uh, which I love. Like it, mm -hmm. it's, I'm so cynical about those things, but I think like there's, you know, this can, like I, I wonder about, yeah, I mean, that part, it's funny that you said like, you wondered about this poem reclaiming like like who is L and what poem was it? And like, if we read that poem, would we actually think it was good and so forth? Until you said that, it never occurred to me that this could be anything other than pure fiction. Oh, no. I assumed I that he just made real. the whole thing up. No, no, no. So you think there's a real no, it's L? It's gotta be real. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And probably- Why would you write about such a tiny moment if it wasn't real? I mean, it's, it's a, well, I think it's real. It's just not, historical right i think like this moment uh, okay. is is like a moment there are hundreds of moments like this right i also it's funny i also noticed uh 140 words that tumble down 12 lines that's unusual right it's very small it's very very tiny well it's a very short poem but it's also those are either very long lines or a whole lot of monosyllables right because 140 words like 140 syllables you know, it's traditionally would be the number of syllables in a sonnet. So if you uh, had every single word in a sonnet was a monosyllable and you kept your perfect iambic pentameter, that would be 140 words in 14 lines. But like, that's actually a lot of words for, for 12 lines. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, but yeah, well that, yeah. yeah. So maybe the specificity of it, maybe it tells us something, but yeah. Yeah, now I'm now I'm doubting it because I'm thinking, yeah, maybe that poem would be weird. Maybe it's not real. Yeah, I don't know. know. But, Jason, are you listening? Can you tell us what's going on? Yeah, he, I, yeah, he. We talked for a while about. Um, he may, I may try to get him on at some point. Uh, he's got a lot of work he's doing, but. Um, yeah, reading this poem, I, I, I flipped the book open and read this poem at random, um, and it's really struck a nerve. There's, you know, there's a poem, there's a Don Patterson poem that in a way is similar um, in, called The Rat. It's kind of a cousin to this poem. I stole a rhyme from this poem. Not, not the rhyme, I did stole an effect, although the rhyme is a little different. Uh, it's called The Rat, it's by Don Patterson. I'll just try to blow through it quickly. It's fairly straightforward. A young man wrote a poem about a rat. It was the best poem ever written about a rat. To read it was to ask the rat to perch on the arm of your chair until you returned the page. So we wrote to him, but heard nothing. We called and called again. Then finally we sailed to the island where he kept the only shop and wrapped his door until he opened up. We took away his poems. Our hands shook with excitement. We read them on light boxes under great lamps. They were not much good. So then we offered what advice we could on his tropes and turns, his metrical comportment, on the wedding of the word to the event, and suggested that he might read this or that. We said, now, write us more poems like the rat. All we got was cheek from him. Then silence. We gave up on him. Him with his green arrogance and ingratitude and his one lucky strike. But today, I read the rat again. Its reek announced it. Then I saw its pisshole stare. Line by line, it strained into the air. Then it hissed. For all the craft and clever, clever, you did not write me, fool, nor will you ever. <laughs> <laughs> that 
That's so, so yeah, great. it's sort of a, like another, I don't know, like bookends or something for this poem. Yeah, that's brilliant. They both kind of get at this idea that I think is really, really true, which is basically you'll have maybe one or two really good poems yeah. in your life, and that's the your your supply. That's all you're going to get. Yeah. Which if I think is lucky. fine. That's if you're lucky. If you, well, yeah, if you're lucky, yeah. If you're lucky, yeah. you'll get one or two. I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe it'd be nice to get them toward the end, though. Then, like, that's it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. Like, which is worse? Which is, you know, I think like. Well, you got to stay alive long enough to find out, hey. Right. I also have this weird, perverse mm-hmm. theory that, like, because supposedly E. A. Robinson wrote. Most of his poems that we know him for are relatively early on. And then he got a sinecure that kind of, he got like set up where he could be comfortable and, and he had some like bullshit job that basically, basically he was like taken care of. So like he would be okay and he'd be able to just write and read and live. And and my understanding is he didn't write a lot of good poems after that. But it mm. it's a thought I've had is that like you can imagine the kind of person who like like Dostoevsky has to like like have a little success and then be totally disgraced and ruined and uh and then like mock executed and then sent to the gulag and then like return and remarry and then like find Christ and then like have his health totally go to shit and then like a year before he dies he writes the brothers Karamazov and then drops dead you know like some people have to like live in that order um, but maybe there are people like A. Robinson or like, I mean, more, more like Rambeau really, who you have to like live your life at a certain pitch and in a certain way that even though you do all the good work early on, you've totally ruined yourself for everything else. Like you, you couldn't, you've actually burned up the fuel of your later life by living the way you do early on in order to produce that little bit of good work. And then. Uh, you just check out like Everett Maddox and go to the bar and sleep in a, a dumpster. <laughs> I <laughs> think this is a dangerous yeah. myth to perpetuate. That we oh, right. Should, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. You should warn the youth against. Yeah. Do you want to do one more? Sure. Which your, is your, your favorite of the... Oh, of my pick? Well, I really want to talk about this Seamus Heaney poem. I think it's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's do it guttural muse yeah another one that i like i don't i can't totally account for it but i just like it a lot the guttural muse by seamus haney late summer and at midnight i smelt the heat of the day at my window over the hotel car park i breathed the muddled night airs off the lake and watched a young crowd leave the discotheque Their voices rose up thick and comforting as oily bubbles the feeding tench sent up that evening at dusk. The slimy tench, once called the doctor fish because his slime was said to heal the wounds of fish that touched it. A girl in a white dress was being courted out among the cars. As her voice swarmed and puddled into laughs, I felt like some old pike all badged with sores, wanting to swim in touch with soft-mouthed life. Great. What do we think about the title? 
that's what I'm most bewildered by. Uh, he has. Um, I kind of skipped the title. You skipped the title. You could have skipped. I, it. I kind of. I, well, I just sort of looked at it and I was like, oh yeah, title, whatever. Now, now that you read it again, I'm thinking, hmm, <laughs> it's a little. Uh, it's a little rough. <laughs> yeah. I don't so know if I love that. He has, yeah. um, I mean, he has a lot of writing about like where he compares Ireland to um, like the thing that Brian made fun of, the Omphalos essay, um, where like Ireland is the sort of root for the earth and everything. You know, it's like he has to take his strength and his um, value from the uh, from the, the the soil of Ireland and his homeland. And he he has a poem. Um, Acteon is the one who got eaten up by his own hounds, right? And then Antaeus is the son of Gaia, I believe, who was like, he hurt, he wrestled with Heracles and Heracles, Greco-Roman wrestling, you would throw your opponent and slam him to the ground and knock the wind out of him. And, um, and so every time Heracles threw him to the ground, um, he bounced back stronger because he, his mother mm -hmm. was the earth. And so he was taking strength from her every time he touched the earth. And so finally Heracles realized he had to lift him up off the earth and squeeze him until he crushed all the wind out of him. Um, but so uh, Haney has a poem about Antaeus and he has a poem, you know, digging and he has a poem called Personal Helicon um, where he talks about looking down into gross old slimy wells and how that was like his um, river of the muses. So when he says the guttural muse, I kind <laughs> of read it in that vein as like another gross slimy thing that I find inspiring. Like I find like that's kind of okay. how I intuitively okay. read it, but I don't even, I have no idea yeah. if that's right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to get too, too hung up on it. Just, Sort of, it it's a, it's a fucking weird title. Me. I kind of, I kind of like yeah. it, but I can't account for it. I don't, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not. Yeah. Um, it's a. I think it's a coin toss when it comes to the table of contents test. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot but, of people would not read it. <laughs> just, just as many people would say, no, pass. That was <laughs> what's that about? Yeah, yeah. What's that about? All right. Aside, I can imagine people reading this poem or listening to you read it and going, ew, gross old man is perving out the hotel window. <laughs> well, I wasn't, see, this is when I wasn't sure if you would, like I thought you would like the Stallings one because it was it had cats and dogs. And then I thought you would dislike this one because it was a pervy old man looking out a window at a pretty young girl in a white dress. But the thing is, this is a really human feeling yep. and I'm not immune to the, you know, the allure of a, a gorgeous mm -hmm. lady like, you there's know, a, there's a pervy old Irish man in you too, Alice. Absolutely, <laughs> and um, and yeah, and also just wanting to be young, wanting to be having those first experiences, and just wanting to be around desire. Yeah, I think like, you know, you're about to turn forty. I've got months and months to go, but yeah. um, I do. <laughs> I can feel that sort of thing of yeah. like out there in the world, people are. Uh, flirting and sleeping with one another and being gorgeous around each other and and mm -hmm. um, yeah here at my hotel window going those were the days I mean I didn't have days like that but I can imagine what they would have been like <laughs> yeah yeah there's yeah. something about this poem that I um, I always think of it as being almost like a like a like the lyric like a lyric syllogism like it's so it's not even the most elegant poem but it is something like in terms of its use of imagery it's so 
simple and straightforward and on the nose and yet incredibly effective. Like you just like, yeah, because, here's yeah. a setting, here's a comparison, and then I'm going to use the heart of that comparison to open up another possibility in the original setting. Like uh, all men are mortal. Socrates is a man. Socrates is mortal. The end. QED. <laughs> drop the mic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is It is so, I mean, he, he's on the hook here. Like he's so, mm-hmm. he's so honest. He is comparing himself. Not, he's not quite the tent. He's an, he's an old pike. Oh, he's not even, yeah, he's he's less appealing than the tench. Even less appealing than the slimy fish. So he gets it. He's not going to go down to the car park. He understands. Some old pike all badged with sores. There's something nice about that badge to be, I mean, he's used badged, I think, in other places notably. But um, there's something nice about that because it is, I read it at least as being like in part a, it's, it's like an evocative description, the sores as being badges. But it's, it also is, um the compliment to the rewards of old age is the sor- the like the sorrows of old age like he's he's got all the, you know he's got as many prizes and his his celebration and and his achievements and and it's and along with that is all of the decay of the body and the humiliation of age what do you think about the last line i'm not sure why he uses the words soft mouthed to describe life i mean i get it's like fish you know kind of yeah um, wanting to swim in touch with soft-mouthed life and it's not it's funny because it's not even um uh there's a henry cole uh, i guess his name is Henri cole but it always sounds silly in my mouth there's an Henri cole poem where he says uh it's a good poem i like it but he ends it he says i want love to trample through my arms again um, and part of part of what I like it's the slight mismatch of trampling in arms, um, but that's a full throated demand to to be right back in the in the spotlight, to be right back in the in the center of it. Like that's like mm-hmm. I want to like make love to hot young people. Like I want to be in bed with you know, and and it's funny because he says like, wanting to swim in touch with soft mouthed life. It's not at best at best in the fantasy he would be. Uh, one of the guys out there courting her among the cars. Like well, the, I take the, it even even further back. He's oh, yeah. like just going to brush past them. He's not even going to be part of the group. He's just Oh, he's like just, like he was like he was wanting this for himself in that. Like, oh, that's interesting. Like is it is he wishing for a fantasy or is he wishing for what he has in that moment? Like is yeah, I feel like he just wants to get a little bit closer. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, no, I, I kind of like that. But yeah, I mean, I think the soft mouth is like both the doctor fish, right? The, the slime of the doctor fish, but also, um, I mean, it's also a kiss, presumably. Um, mm. uh, but it's, yeah, it's a little bit hard to pin down. And I think it's it's all the more evocative for that reason. Wanting to swim mm. in touch with soft mouth life. Like it doesn't quite add up to a cleanly definable image it's not perfectly clear what that would look like like the like the the old thing uh, david smith used to always say like if it were a movie what would you film so i always thought like well that's great for a certain kind of poem like a narrative poem that's often helpful but this is not that and it's hard to say exactly Mm. what it means but it boy it works at least on me it's funny because 
This is quite filmic in a way. I really love that she's she's a girl in a white dress, so she is sort of got this virginal quality, but she's been courted out among the cars. That's such a great mismatch, being courted mm-hmm. in this sort of a very formal thing, but she's standing around in a car park. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Is that a thing sort of that you do? There's a, there's a thing back home where... Um, kids would uh girls would girls would dance on cars in parking lots as like a social event no yeah no that that came i don't know if that would that was what he had in mind and like when i envision this like when i see it in my head it's always a little bit vague um but Mm -hmm. i imagine it's funny it, it didn't even strike me as hot like the the like the image of like young people out in a, in a parking lot playing music in their cars and like even sitting up or standing up on the cars. It just feels very much like, um, it just has the, the yeah, I was going to say the ring of youth, but that's, that's not quite the saying. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that single very short line, a girl in a white dress, which is almost, I mean, it's just as bare an image as you can come up with, but it so stands out in this poem. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's like a, like a, point of light in a very in a very hany and murky m- mulchy muddy poem it's that that little perfect spot yeah yeah she's surrounded by slimy fish mm-hmm. mm. yeah i love I lo- it's a, such a weird little simple poem but i really like it yeah, yeah. good old shameless haney as they used to call him he was apparently yeah. a, a, a hound dog yes no i i i'm aware <laughs> that was my conversation with alice you can find her as always um, on her podcast poetry says Uh, there will be a a link as always in the show notes uh, to that and um, again we will be doing an ama alice and brian and i will sometime soon so there's still time to send any any questions you might have uh, or uh, questions or comments you might have about anything on the show, you can write to sleeverickets at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, for listening. And with any luck, I will be speaking to you again very soon. Until then. Until then.